I think a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction, right, is to get a bigger home or it's to get a storage unit or it's to just like it's a space issue or it's an organization issue, a lot of people think. So that's when like I was going to Target and getting all these cute bins and oftentimes they're just completely unnecessary and a big financial waste. Those things add up. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. We have a super tangible and relatable episode for you guys today. Katie Wells is a declutter expert who has turned her own life from cluttered to peaceful with practical tips and also a ton of grace. She's helped thousands of families gain control of their households through solving their clutter problems at their root. She's also helped them generate momentum towards building a home they love that allows them to focus on what truly matters. I mean, I'm sure all of you guys know how excited I am about this interview because clutter has been such a hard part of motherhood for me. So Katie's tips, I'm literally going to use them right away. Katie, one thing we love about your story and that we know will put our listeners at ease is that you weren't always clutter-free how your home used to operate and make you feel is definitely one that a lot of our listeners can relate to. And we know you also had a bit of an aha moment and turning point that led you down the decluttering path. Could you share a little bit more about your journey with our listeners and also share why the work you do is so important? Yes. So ladies, thanks so much for having me. So glad to be here. And yes, I think that definitely sets me apart from a lot of other people. And like the declutter simplifying space is that like, I wasn't born organized. So immediately people are like, Oh, thank goodness. Someone, (laughs) you know, there's some, uh, a little more realness and it's okay if you're born organized, but that's really the exception, you know, clutter and stuff for me wasn't really a huge pain point. And this is going to resonate with a lot of your audience too, until I became a mom. I remember coming home after we had our baby shower for my oldest son before he was born. And I looked at my husband. We had just recently moved from a thousand square foot apartment to a 1700 square foot home. We got all the stuff brought in by like, you know, felt like tractor loads from the baby shower into our home. And I looked at him and I said, we're going to outgrow this home, especially if we have a second kid. So just so you know, we just bought this house, but we need to start looking for a bigger home. And, you know, hindsight 2020, <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I was really a stuff problem back then. But my mindset was so skewed. I thought I had a space problem. And after my first son was born, I had my second son a year and a half later. So, you know, like the trials and tribulations of motherhood, there's so many blessings and incredible moments, but there was a lot of pain and frustration and resentment. And the resentment for me really fell within the confounds of stuff. So I felt like I was constantly chasing my toddlers and babies around, you know, cleaning up after them. Time spent at the end of the night, instead of like relaxing or just getting sleep, was spent doing chores and picking up toys. In fact, one day I remember spending 30 minutes picking up all the toys in our living room. 
And only so I, cause I needed a vacuum and it took me like three and a half minutes to vacuum. And I was like, this isn't right. Something is wrong here. And I was just feeling the time and energy suck of the stuff. But I think the emotional and mental toll for me was what made everything worse. I had clutter induced anxiety. I didn't even literally want to spend time in my house. Anytime I had the kids on the weekend because I worked full time during the week. I was just like, let's get out of the house. I don't feel good here. I don't want to be surrounded by all this stuff. It's a constant reminder of all my to-dos, all the chores, right? It was a big pain point. And I think ultimately to wrap it up is that the way it was impacting me the most is I felt like I was feeling as a wife and like this motherhood I had, and a mom because the motherhood I had envisioned for myself, those quiet, special moments sitting on the floor or reading extra bedtime books or those snuggles or bedtime routine or anything like none of that was happening because I was constantly telling my boys, no, mommy can't do that right now. I have to clean up. I have to pick up. I have to do laundry. I have to put stuff away. And you know, when our reality and our expectation don't meet, there's this huge gap. And a lot of that is again, frustration, resentment. It was a really sad period for me. And then one day we were involved in a really bad car accident and my husband almost lost his life. And that was really the turning point for me. I literally came centimeters from becoming a widow and going home from the hospital with two young kids under two years old. And I remember walking through my front door after being at the hospital all day. Once we realized he would recover and everything was ultimately going to be fine, I walked through that front door and I said, I'm done. I'm done. Because for the first time I saw my house for what it was, it was a tidal wave that sucked me under instead of a refuge in the storm. And I was in a huge storm, right? My husband almost lost his life. We're in a really traumatic car accident. I needed to be there to support my husband while he healed. I needed to basically solo parent for an undetermined amount of time. And all the stuff was in my way of doing that. And that was really what brought so much clarity to the situation. And unfortunately for me, I had to hit my rock bottom of my rock bottom in order to see that. But on the same token, it was what pushed me into action for the first time. Two years later, I started to, you know, have so much success and needed to share it with the world and created the podcast and online programs. And it's just been an incredible blessing for my life. My life is completely different and decluttering was a catalyst that just changed my motherhood, my mental health and my relationships. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that story with us because I think it really paints the picture of how overwhelming our spaces can become and how that really does impact a lot of us. As the listeners know, I'm not the most tidy person, but even for me, my spaces can definitely get to a point where it is impacting me and I feel like frustrated in them. So I listened to your podcast and I decided while listening to it, I was going to tackle my closet. You had a guest on, you guys were talking about editing your wardrobe. I just decided I'm going to go for this. So I took every single piece out of the closet. I had to try it on. I had to know that I would wear it immediately. Like I wanted only things that I absolutely loved to stay in my closet. And now that it's streamlined and it's organized in a way that really makes sense to my brain, things feel so much better. You're talking to a lot of busy women right now. And one question that they wanted to ask you is, is there a place in the house that you suggest starting? A lot of our listeners said, okay, I've got you know 10 places that really need to be organized. 
but is there a couple rooms that you would suggest starting with that could make a big difference in a busy person's life? I love that you shared your transformation with your closet. So, I mean, my closet, like yours maybe was too, is super overwhelming. I think a lot of people just end up buying a lot of things that they think they like in the moment and end up with closets and wardrobes that they hate. And so a closet can be a great place to start for a lot of people. It's going to be a a large task. Mine probably took eight to 12 hours. I'm glad you said that because when I was doing it, I was like, this is a weekend project. I mean, I spent so much time doing it. Yes. I did the kind of big purge and I had like two kids with me the whole time is when they were little. I had like nursing and I was trying to keep my toddler entertained. But so it was kind of eight to 12 hours of my life. I do want back. However, seeing that tangible result afterwards, right? That momentum, like walking into your closet and not having so much decision fatigue, right? You don't have to like cull through clutter to find the clothes you're actually, you know, you're going to wear anyway. So a closet can be a great spot, but just basic places like surface areas, surface areas are clutter and stuff attractors. And when you can clear those surface areas, and sometimes it's true clutter, like excess stuff you don't need, use, love, want, doesn't serve a purpose anymore. And oftentimes though, it's just expected mess. So mess that happens from everyday life, right? You finish your bottle of water instead of putting it in the sink or in the you know dishwasher, you stick it on the counter, right? Things like that. And so some of it's just going to be putting things away at the end of the day. So kitchen counters, tables, islands, nightstands, vanities, floors, places like that. People don't think of floors as surface areas, but they are. So shoes on the floor, toys, even you know when they're not in use, try and put that stuff away. And those can, again, serve as like an instant facelift. And when you continue to pass, like a lot of us tend to spend time in our kitchen and with all these kind of open concept homes where we don't have like a door we can shut (laughs) to the mess (laughs) when we're like in and out of the kitchen all day. And we see these mostly clear counters, it can give us motivation and momentum to like, Oh, what next? Like, what else can I tackle in a short period of time, five, 10 minutes? That's going to like, you know, I'm going to reap the benefits from. Those are a couple different options. And I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this because I like to give really like tactical, practical things. But like from a 30,000 foot view here, people always ask like, where do I start when it comes to my home? But I think it's more important to start in your heart and your head. What's your relationship with stuff? How do you view things? Do you think things are supposed to make you happy? Because we live in a culture where that's constantly sold to us. Every day, if you spend any amount of time on social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, it doesn't matter. We are constantly being sold to. And ultimately, for a lot of us, we learn to believe that happiness is in the next purse. It's in the next pair of fall boots. It's in the next home. It's in the next car. And so I think that's definitely a place considering because we can declutter all these things. We can organize. We can like love our home. But if we're constantly bringing stuff into the house, it's going to be an uphill battle when it comes to clutter. And I think a lot of us, especially as we head into birthdays or into holidays, when all those things come in, it's like these heart palpitations start to happen when you see everything kind of like you mentioned with the baby shower and just all these things everywhere. But when you start to put them away slowly, it does make it just easier to keep clean. One thing that I've noticed over and over again, as somebody who is pretty tidy and likes to have an organized home when there's a whole bunch of mess, sometimes I just leave it. I don't even know where to start with it. So just those little things like having the counters clean, making your closet more streamlined, those little things can just add up to so much. 
Uh, one thing that I know that we run into is that our partners have different tolerance levels than we have. So for me, I am more of that tidy and organized type. And in Amy and Drew's house, Drew is the one who tends to be more organized. So how do we even navigate this coexisting with different tolerances? Because I mean, we're planning on being married from now until forever. So figuring out that happy medium is going to be something that's going to be really helpful for both parties. I think definitely regularly talking, not having like a one-off conversation and definitely not going into this type of conversation when you are triggered and you know you walk into the play area or your kid's bedroom and you're like, I can't even see the floor. Mom's mad <laughs> or something like that. But like having these like weekly or even monthly or bi-monthly check-ins with your partner regarding how's the household working? Because a lot of parents usually it falls on the mom just because of societal gender roles. But sometimes on the dad, it really just depends. Like I've noticed in my personal experience in working with a lot of women is that we tend to feel and get really resentful about why am I the only one that cares or why am I the only one that sees the mess when like everyone else is clutter blind and just doesn't give two hoots. And so just talking about this and often invisible role of being the stuff manager of the house So what does that look like? And when I talked to my husband about it, I was like, I feel like the eye of Sauron from like Lord of the Rings. Do you know when that eye, (laughs) (laughs) it's always scanning for the ring constantly. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I feel like that in a positive way when it comes to stuff, I choose to be the gatekeeper of things instead of just feeling resentful about it because like that's important to me and my mental health. And also it's just a skill set I have. You know, I like to declutter. I like to pay attention to this stuff. And so if your partner's maybe the opposite, or maybe you're that, maybe it's opposite in your relationship, bringing that up and talking about, you know, this sometimes uncompensated and unseen responsibility. And when those check-ins, you can show them easy ways that they can help, whether that comes to specifically decluttering or handling expected mess teaching them how to do daily resets, right? Here's what we do after dinner. I want us to start doing this as a family. Here's what you can do to help. You can do the dishes if I did this. And then even teaching them how to encourage the kids if you have kids in your household too. And then I think it's so important when it comes to having this stuff conversation with our partners is because it's sometimes they just don't understand the what, which is decluttering or putting stuff away, right? Where it's supposed to live. If they don't understand the why, right? And so we often lead with the what, honey, I want you to declutter, honey, I want you to go through your garage, go through your hobby equipment, go through your camping gear that you haven't used in 10 years and get rid of it because it's clutter. (laughs) And they're going, what? I don't want to do that. I want to go hang with the boys or I want to play with the kids. I want to go on a bike ride, right? It goes down the priority list pretty quickly. So sometimes if we lead with the why, you know, like, hey, I've noticed that since I decluttered the laundry room, I can actually keep up with laundry now. And I save time each night. And now we're able to kind of connect a little bit more at the end of the night, instead of me drowning in mountains of laundry on the couch, (laughs) right? And kind of bring that up. What's the point? What's the end goal? And share what's in it for them too. I think as human beings, we all want to know what's in it for us. And if you're sharing what's in it for you, you know, I'm sure they're supportive of that in their own way, but share what's in it for them. So if they're financially motivated, Maybe you can talk about how you'll sell things or you'll, you know, reduce some shopping, which is good too if you're decluttering. Maybe if they help and participate a lot in managing stuff and chores, right? There are countless studies that report that simply by decluttering our homes, we can save up to 40% of time 
each and every week when it comes to chores, 40%. So for a lot of households, that's like two to four hours, depending on how often you're doing chores and who's helping and who's involved. That is a huge chunk of time. And in a day and age where people are like so stuck on how do I become more productive? How do I get more off my to-do list? How do I check more, right? How do I get stuff done? I think sometimes people forget that decluttering pays massive dividends in the long run. The stuff you get rid of today is going to impact you for months to come. And so to not get hung up on the time you need to invest to declutter, but also the benefit that comes along with that. And that makes perfect sense to me. It's like when I did my closet, also a money saver was I had to try on all my formal dresses. And the last two weddings that I went to, I rewore dresses that I already had when I probably would have opted to go buy something new if I hadn't tried them on, realized I still love them. I wanted to make another comment. Drew and I, my husband and I, we own certain decluttering tasks and it's really helpful for us. So he owns the garage. I do not think about it. I don't touch it. He does it regularly. Like that's his area. I edit the kids' clothes. So I make sure everything fits them. You know, we're donating what we don't need. Like we're keeping their drawers because we've gotten to the point before where the drawer like won't even open. And then you're in a rush in the morning and like the drawer won't open and you're like, I cannot... <laughs> handle this. So that's worked really well for us. And speaking of the kids, that is something that I wanted to ask a question about. I know that you also have kids. And one thing we've been working on in our household is getting our kids to pitch in. My kids are six, four and a half, and three. So I wanted to know, how do we get our kids to start contributing in a way to keep the family's environment functioning? One big thing I started to really shift a lot more intention to as a parent, right? Because I was kind of the spearhead when it came to decluttering in our house. My kids were too little to know what even decluttering meant. (laughs) And my husband wasn't exactly on board. He kind of just watched from a distance and did the little golf clap, you know, like, oh, good. (laughs) Here she goes again. (laughs) (laughs) Katie's getting rid of more stuff. And then he was like, wow, my wife's a lot happier. Wow. Like chores don't take as long. And then, you know, after a little bit of time, he was super excited to get on board. But as my kids continued to get older and had the capacity to do different things, I started to tell them all the time. I tell them on a daily basis almost (laughs) that we are a team and it's our responsibility to keep the home clean, not mommies and not daddies. And so if we make the mess, it's our responsibility to clean it up. Mommy's here to help you and to guide you and to support you through the messes that you make, (laughs) but it's not my job. And so we all kind of choose different ways, you know, what that looks like, but that was just a really important avenue I wanted to take. And I continue to take because these are life skills. I didn't even know what decluttering was. I didn't know how to like make my bed or make breakfast when I moved out of my parents' house. (laughs) And I feel like there are a lot of life skills that are just dropped to teach people that, you know, that aren't taught kids. And so this is one of them I feel is important. Because stuff is like an integral part of our lives. And whether it's managing it, decluttering, choosing what to purchase or not, I mean, it's just something I didn't want to skim over. And so with the daily resets, what I call daily resets, where you just tidy up, put things back where they belong at the end of the day, when not in use, I got them involved in that when they were like maybe three and four years old. And so if you haven't done that before, if you've typically been the one to clean up the rooms or pick up their toys, 
just sitting down and explaining, here's what we're going to try a little bit differently. And here's why we're doing it. Because I think it's one thing to just tell your kids and expect them, right? We all want our kids to just listen, nod and do what we want them to do. But it can be helpful to kind of paint that picture. Like, here's how this is going to help impact our family. If you help clean up the toys, then we're going to have extra time to read, you know, more bedtime books tonight, right? What's in it for them kind of falls in that same line. You're going to use that for your partner and using it for your kids. Or even like when my kids get home from school, it's their responsibility. They're seven and five, by the way, first in kindergarten. It's their responsibility for unloading their backpacks. So they take their lunch boxes out. They put it on the counter. And this is all stuff I've coached them through, by the way. I didn't just tell them one time. <laughs> I've coached them through it. And every time they do that and actually follow through, I say, oh, sweetie, thank you so much. I appreciate you putting your lunchbox on the counter. Now we're going to have more time to play an extra game of Connect Four or Shoots and Ladders. And it helps them just understand, right? I'm not just doing this because mommy told me so. I'm doing this because we're a team unit and here's what I'm going to get out of it. And I think that's a really beautiful thing. Also, just to celebrate when they do get it right, because as parents, it's frustrating. Like you've told your kid a hundred times, here's where the shoes go when they walk into your home, but they're on the living room floor. And so instead of nagging them or getting frustrated or getting triggered, I would always take a deep breath and I go, Hey River, I noticed your shoes are on the floor. So I'm not going at it with emotion in a, in the heat of a moment. I'm just stating a fact. And then River, my seven-year-old would be like, Oh yeah. And he'd go pick them up and put them away. And so I think just reframing and not taking it personally too, when they do not get it right. Because I also don't get it right. And I think a lot of parents think the end goal should be perfection. Like, here's where stuff goes. Everything should go here. But it doesn't work that way, right? So that's what those daily resets are for, too. And now a break from our podcast sponsor, Third Love. What if you could finally have a bra that makes your boobs look and feel amazing? And it's actually super comfortable to wear all day. Well, we have found it. And that is Third Love's 24-7 classic t-shirt bra. Not only does it make your boobs look great, but it's super supportive and it's comfortable. And I love it because it doesn't show through my clothes like other bras do. It has made millions of women and their boobs very, very happy. And what we found from talking with many of our Herself podcast listeners is that once someone gets the 24-7 classic t-shirt bra, it's become their everyday go-to bra. It forms to your body so that your boobs are always looking great. And those straps, you guys, the straps stay in place all day. I can't tell you how much that bothers me, but having a good bra that doesn't slip down your shoulders is a must-have. I also love Third Love because they come in over 60 sizes and they have half cup sizes. So it's going to be a perfect fit regardless if you are a solid A, B, C, D, or so on, or if you're somewhere in between. Or maybe you want to try out another bra. Make sure to take the fitting room quiz to figure out which bra is going to be your next best friend. Never get stuck with a bad bra again. Returns and exchanges are free for up to 60 days with Third Love. And our listeners get 20% off their first order by going to thirdlove.com slash herself. Again, ditch your bad bras and get a better one that makes you look and feel great by going to thirdlove.com slash herself and getting 20% off your first purchase. Oh, I think this is such an interesting subject because I think a lot of our communication about clutter happens when we are triggered. 
whether it be with our kids or with our partners, it's like we snap. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what I'm learning from you today is like you kind of set the groundwork with each member of the family so that they can start helping more. So hopefully we can start to avoid the like really triggered moment which kind of leads into the next question. So when I was doing my closet, I was getting a lot of messages back from women. First of all, the most common one was like, oh my gosh, I'm so inspired. I want to do this too. But the next most common one was probably, how do you deal with the emotional attachment? How are you able to part with things? And for me, I didn't really have an issue with that. Like it either fit or it didn't. And like, I would wear it or I wouldn't, but I do understand that some people really have what you call the endowment effect. So if someone is more highly sentimental about those pieces, can you kind of coach us through how you could start to work through that? Yeah, definitely. So there are a a lot of nuances and variety of reasons and roots to why people tend to get attached to stuff. And I think Part of that is just in our culture, at least here in the United States. It's just kind of what we're spoon fed from the day we're watching. Yeah, I would say Saturday morning cartoons like a lot of us did when we grew up. But now it's like YouTube videos (laughs) on the iPad. (laughs) But like it's this attachment. I'm doing air quotes. I know you can't see me, but I air quotes here can often be rooted in guilt. Because when I work with people on the decluttering, they're like, oh, but I'm just so attached. I've found over the years that a lot of it actually isn't true, like sentimentality or emotional attachment. It's guilt. Like they feel bad. They're like, well, am I a bad granddaughter for not wanting these, you know, this set of China that I somehow landed in my house when my grandma passed or some type of guilt over letting it go. Like a good friend wouldn't let go of the scarf because my friend put thought into this, if it was a gift or whatever it is. And so I think being able to ask yourself, if I were free from guilt, would I still keep this is a really powerful question. If you struggle with what you think might be attachment. And then if you do consider yourself, like if you're like, well, you know, I do still think I have some sentimentality towards things, whether it's clothes or books from college or artwork for my kid like being able to identify, is it part of like an an identity issue? Like who am I without this stuff? Who am I without these formal dresses? Does it just remind you of a time in your life, an emotionally charged time of your life, whether it was like big transitions, right? Maybe when you became a new mom, I remember letting go of a lot of the baby stuff. Like we're thinking we're probably done with just the two and not going to have more kids. And so I've been letting go of the baby stuff. And I know a lot of moms feel this. It's like really hard because it often when we pick up those onesies, those blankies, and we consider letting them go, it brings back those same like very intense emotions, like the floodgates open, right? It's like, oh my gosh, I remember when my seven-year-old fit in this onesie, right? And then this is where a lot of people just freeze and get paralyzed because they're just, I can't consider, I can't even consider letting this go. I get too attached. So once there for that type of sentimental person is to not touch the item. In fact, studies show that if you touch the item, and I know this is might sound counterintuitive, especially if you've read the Marie Kondo book, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, she recommends you physically touch every single item when you make a decision to let it go or not. However, I think the disclaimer should be if you are a sentimental person, you don't do that because you are l- much less likely to let go of something if you touch it. So if you know you have a box of baby stuff or stuff from college 
or stuff that reminds you of a loved one that you're thinking like, you know, you just don't want, you know, you want to pass it along to someone who's going to use it. Have like your partner handle the box or pull things out and show them to you. And sometimes it comes down to just mindset reframing, right? Like, and that's going to be able to give people more confidence in letting it go without it feeling like, super forced and frustrating, which I know it can feel like for a lot of people who consider themselves sentimental. Mm, I'm glad you brought up the baby clothes because even in that question, I have no problem editing my closet. I can Marie Kondo it, hold it and say, this is no longer serving me and just throw it out within Mm -hmm. three seconds. No problem. But then when it's like little baby girl clothes and we have two boys right now, and I know that this is most likely we're not going to be expanding our family. Every time one of those tiny little dresses goes into my hands, I think about the photos that she wore it in and her smile on her face when she went on that ride or whatever it was. And it is a lot harder. So I have a question on this one as a follow-up. This is what I do now. I put them into a box and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to get rid of them right away. I'm going to put them in the storage room and I'll come back in three months, six months, a year later. And then at that point, I get rid of them. What are your thoughts on that strategy? I love that you're giving yourself a time-bound you know, retainer on that. I think that's really important because a lot of people are just like, I don't know. I'll just figure it out later, right? We procrastinate mm-hmm. and then the same thing keeps happening. I think just maybe having someone else handle the items or the box next time, maybe you peek in instead of touching it. I think that could help you, you know, better make a decision. I love that. I see value in that versus, you know, just kind of more generally, quote unquote, kicking the can down the road. That time bound commitment is helpful. Okay, Amy. So you're, you're on, you're on duty for it the next time. <laughs> what about with the school projects? Cause I know a lot of people in our community. I mean, even Amy and I talk about all the schoolwork that comes home, the cute little drawings, the things that they create, the arts and crafts. So do you have any prompts that we can ask ourselves when we're trying to decide what's you know worth keeping and what we can get rid of in that moment? Yeah. I mean, I wish I had like a, a hack and maybe it'll come up naturally, but I think one thing I tell my kids often is that if everything is special, then nothing really is. And anything, anything that is new, whether it's bought, purchased from a store, whether it's a gift or something your kids make, you know, drawings, 3D art projects, like science projects, anything that's quote unquote new, it's going to have that new feeling. Like it's exciting. It's like, you know, when you order something online, you get it and you're like so excited to open it up and try on the t-shirt or whatever it is. And then guess what? few days later, or a week, or even a month later, you're like, oh yeah, like I'm actually more interested in this other new top. <laughs> yeah, it just starts to kind of fizzle out that excitedness about it. And so I'm not one to like make my kids decide right when the projects come home or the cardboard box that they drew on for two hours. Like I'm not going to be like, hey, by the end of today, I need you to decide what to do. I usually give them a week to play with things, finish it up. And then if it's like a big 3D thing, I will recommend taking a picture of it or they have a designated spot in their room where we can keep things like this. The disclaimer is there's a physical limitation, right? That is one section of their dresser. And so they can't have 18 different science or art projects sitting on their dresser. It won't fit. And so I explain this limitation and this physical boundary to them. That's something that's very concrete that even adult can understand. And so can a child. And so they can say, oh, you know what? I actually don't have space. So I'm going to get rid of this other thing that's older and I don't really care for anymore. And I'm going to replace it with this thing. And I think that's a really beautiful thing when you give these little practical tools 
for your kids to be able to decide on their own versus you making the decision for them or for asking one question like, does this spark joy? Well, that feels so vague. Even for me as an adult, oftentimes I remember getting frustrated over that question. It's like, well, no, it doesn't spark joy, but I spent $40 on it. So I'm going to keep it (laughs) even though I never wear it. And to a kid, it feels even more vague. So just giving them more concrete ways to be able to identify to keep it or not. A quick break from our sponsors, Rothy's. As you guys know, we are headed into the fall season and there is no better time to get on your cozy cardigans, go to an apple orchard and find a new obsession with Rothy's. They have the best fall shoes that are comfortable right out of the box. Their best sellers are the point and the flat. I am on their website right now and I can tell you there is a color for everyone. So whether you want something bold and bright or you want something neutral and black, they have something for you. Did you know that they are named People Magazine's first ever best flat? in their style awards for 2021. People love them because like I said, they are comfortable. Like right when you put them on, you know that you're going to be good all day. And then you know that they're durable. These can be washed. So you simply wash them and they are going to look good as new. That's why we love Rothy's. So you can go to Rothy's dot com slash herself. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash herself and fall in love with your favorite new shoes and get $20 off your first purchase. Again, that's rothys.com slash herself. Yeah, I have just one storage bin for each of them that has hanging folders for each grade. And what I like to do is think about if it shows a part of their personality that might be really fun for them to look back on. So sometimes when they have to answer questions and it's just like, this is so, this is you, this is you right now. But that said, I keep about like 10 papers a year. So it is really minimal just because Mm -hmm. I know I like picture them when they're older, they're not going to want 75 pictures they made in kindergarten, but would they want five that are really cool? Still probably not, but they'll have fun looking at it, you know? So, and it's not a huge burden for you or, you know, the physical space you're dedicating to it either. So right. That bin in of, of itself, those folders are all those boundaries that you have committed to obviously taking pictures of it. There are a million and one ways to like actually handle the artwork, but one company I did want to share it's called archive. And so they are great. So it's kind of like you're keeping the memories, but not all the stuff. They send you a big cardboard box that can fit tons of artwork in it. You can throw multiple kids artwork in there and then they turn it into either a mosaic that you can hang in your kiddo's bedroom or play space or whatever, or they do like a book and they they customize it. They do a really beautiful job actually. And in fact, my mom just passed on a ton of my artwork from when I was a kid to me. She's like, I'm decluttering my house. <laughs> I'm She's like, I've been listening to your podcast. And I'm gonna, she does I'm gonna... too. She's like my number one fan. She's like, here, take this. And I was like, oh, darn it. You know? <laughs> and so I'm actually using archive for myself as well. But on that note, I save just as many like notes. 
when they write, I love you on a note, like stuff like that, I will put in there and I'm going to get a mosaic done for my son's room. And it doesn't have to be per, you know, like school year. You can do like ages one through five. You could do a book or one through 10 if you're starting a little bit late. But I think that's a really cool way. It's easy for them to take, you know, when they move out, when they're older. And again, it's not like heaps of paperwork that you have to sort through. And it's just, it's a great service for those who want to check out Archive. Oh, I love that. That's such a good idea. Another thing that we saw when we were all over your Instagram page, which is great, by the way, is you talking about how going to Target and buying cute storage bins is not a good decluttering strategy. I think we all have these dreams of having a super organized house. And sometimes what we start with is going to get more things to organize our house. So I would love to hear why you don't think that this is such a sound strategy and what we could focus on instead. So if Ben solved clutter issues, we wouldn't be here, would we? I wouldn't have a podcast on decluttering. There wouldn't be numerous books on decluttering. It just, we wouldn't be here. I made that mistake early on too when I realized I had too much stuff. I think a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction right? It's to get a bigger home or it's to like get a storage unit or it's to just like, it's a space issue or it's an organization issue. A lot of people think. So that's when like I was going to target and getting all these cute bins. And oftentimes they're just completely unnecessary and a big financial waste. Those things add up. Like I hopped on Pinterest last night because I'm thinking of maybe shifting my closet a little bit and with all the bins I saw, it was going to be like over $1,000 in bins, (laughs) which I'm not going to do. But I'm like, oh my gosh, this isn't even necessary. But I digress there. So bins just enable us to hang on to too much stuff, right? And so oftentimes early on in my quote unquote declutter journey, I wasn't actually getting rid of things. I was just moving them around and shuffling them from bin to bin. And the problem maybe felt better for a few days. And then it reared its ugly head again. If you were like, oh, this is resonating, this sounds familiar, then you don't have an organizational problem, you have a clutter problem. In fact, I never, I don't think, maybe one time I've talked about truly organizing on my podcast because the heart of the matter is clutter. There's just too much. And being able to get to the roots of your clutter. I mean, there are so many ways you could continue to declutter without having organized. My goal is to declutter enough that I don't need those bins. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need to go buy, you know, thousands of dollars, hundreds of dollars in cute bins to have a home that serves you and your family. And that looks uncluttered and is uncluttered. So yeah, I like to squash that myth for sure. I think they have their time in their place. Don't get me wrong. I have them in a few areas of my home, but I don't think they're like ever required. And just like you said, our knee-jerk reaction is like, oh, I'm just going to go buy more stuff to like help me with the stuff problem, which is part of the problem why we have a stuff problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Katie, kind of like how your mom did when she brought over all your things from childhood, Colin's mom did the same thing a few years back and it was organized chaos. I mean, we talk about organized chaos, but everything was in 
perfectly organized bins. They were all labeled, but there was, I mean, it took two carloads to bring over all of his stuff. She held on to everything. So although everything was organized, it was now leaving her house. They were downsizing and coming into our house. She made me sign a contract saying I wouldn't throw anything away. And then a few years later, we sat down. I'm like, okay, Shauna, let's go through all these pieces together. So we did go through all the pieces together. She did hold on to them. So now looking back, I wish maybe she wouldn't have actually touched them because we could have probably gotten rid of a few more things. But it did help with just finally getting rid of the pieces, taking photos that we needed to, and then being able to move on from being organized to being less cluttered. Yeah. Makes such a big difference. Such a big difference. And as somebody who has struggled with anxiety and overwhelm, I know so much of our community struggles with overwhelm. All of these things, and we've brought it up several times on this episode, they just add to more overwhelm. So as a declutter expert, what connection have you noticed between clutter and emotional well-being? Um, I know that I can feel my spaces and feel how they impact me. And I would love to hear your thoughts on what you have seen in your role. I've learned that we are intricately connected to our environments. And it's not something I don't think I would have. I mean, I, I felt the negative impact of the stuff and the clutter, but more on like an emotional level. But like the mental side of things, like my depression and my anxiety, I'm not saying it was stuff and clutter was the cause of it, but it was certainly a huge contributor to my mental health issues. And this is, and I'm not alone in this. There are so many studies. In fact, there was one study done in 2016. And in the study, people were asked to describe their homes. And anyone who said, describe their homes as either cluttered or messy have elevated levels of cortisol, which is a stress hormone. And so basically that cortisol, maybe you've heard of like the fight or flight response, right? That's part of our nervous system and how we're designed. So we survive, right? If there's a bear in the woods, that fight or flight system is going to kick in and we're going to make a decision so we can get away from that bear. And while we're not stressed to that capacity, like we see a bear, like when we're in our cluttered home or just messy environments, It's like a low grade perpetual state of that fight or flight. So it's like this low simmering agitation, stress level. And over time, that can vastly impact our mental health, anxiety, depression, right? All the visual stimuli. Clutter in a nutshell is basically, it talks to us. All of these stuff, it talks to us and tells us there is more stuff to be done. And so my analogy for this, to paint this picture, is imagine you sit down at the end of a really long day, right? What day isn't long? I'm tired at the end of every day. (laughs) And you kick your feet up and you just take a sigh of relief. And you're like, finally, the kids are sleeping. The house is quiet. Your chores are done. So you think. Now imagine your partner comes into the room and says, what are you doing? Get up. There is more work to be done. Like, get off your butt. Like, get, go, 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 go. Chop, 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 right? This is what stuff is doing. And it doesn't matter if that stuff is on the kitchen counter. It doesn't matter if it's useful, purposeful, has a purpose, or if it's true clutter. Any type of visual stimuli when it comes to master clutter is going to do that to you. And it can be behind a closed door. Like our minds and bodies know, in fact, we can be sleeping and our sleep will be interrupted and not as quality if we sleep in cluttered rooms, y'all, there are studies on this stuff. Our minds and bodies know, even if we're sleeping, which is like, what? Like, that's how connected we are to our environment. And so my encouragement here is to, maybe you don't have to have like all the answers to know like where to start, but just literally start anywhere. Set a timer for five minutes on your iPhone or on your 
whatever, oven timer, and just start tackling a spot that's been bothering you, you will always feel better after that five, 10 or 15 minutes. People think I just need the right strategy. If only I had the right strategy, if only I had the right checklist, if only I had the right book or listened to the right podcast, then, then I could solve my clutter problem. But it's so much more about the roots of the clutter, which for a lot of us is that emotional and mental aspect, and also about consistency. For a lot of people, what's manageable each day isn't a 10-hour purge in your closet. It's like 10, 20 minutes. And then embracing just the different benefits you feel. Like, How do you feel when you walk down into your kitchen each morning after you've decluttered it when you go to make your coffee? It's an amazing feeling to have like clean countertops, isn't it? And stuff like not screaming for your attention. And so leaning into that is really important too. And it's going to help give you motivation to keep going and get your 10 minutes in tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Well, we know everything is so interconnected. So today we've seen a lot of connections. And one connection we know is if you are a person that likes a lot of things and you've accumulated a lot of things, one thing that we also know is that you might have some issues with impulse buying. And I've opened up about this on the podcast before. It is totally something that I have done in the past, you know, still sometimes do. So I understand you, no judgment at all. But Katie, I was wondering, because I know you do talk about this. What do you think are the main causes for impulse purchases? And what are some strategies that people can start to reduce their impulse buying? I would have to say, and I mentioned this, you know, briefly earlier, this idea, and I I think here's the thing, like people who are like, no, I don't think stuff brings me happiness. I'm like, yeah, show me your Amazon order. (laughs) Show me all your receipts, (laughs) you know? And I think actions speak louder than words. And maybe you're like, well, no, but not for me. So if you think that stuff is going to bring you happiness, you're always you're like the goalpost keeps moving, right? You get that new pair of fall boots and you're like, okay, I promise myself I'm not going to buy anything else until Christmas. And then like you see your favorite influencer promoting another pair of fall boots and you're like, oh, but I don't have that color. And oh, those are really versatile. And oh, I can wear those with the kids or I can wear them to work, (laughs) right? We start to justify all the reasons we should get those boots. Even though when we woke up that morning, we had no intention of buying boots, right? We just swore to ourselves yesterday, we weren't going to buy anything else. And so this idea of buying ourselves into happiness or maybe buying ourselves into someone else's life, that Instagram influencer you love and respect, and you're like, oh, I just want to be more like her chances are you're going to start buying things just like she does and putting your values where she puts her values. And so you have to be so careful of the accounts you follow for that reason, because ultimately their choices will likely end up being your choices, even if it goes against your core value of simplicity, if that's one of your core values. Stress and boredom are really big triggers for impulse shopping. When I was drowning in clutter and had two kids, on me all the time. You know, when I got home from work, the first thing I did, especially if I was feeling like touched out physically, you know, like the kids just like touching you all the time. And I'm just so overwhelmed is I would reach for my phone and literally just open any shopping app because like that was just my go-to. I just needed a distraction and a dopamine hit because also at this time, not only was I facing stress, depression, and anxiety, And just like all those uncomfortable feelings, I was feeling resentful toward my husband. I didn't want to think about that. I'd rather avoid that, (laughs) thinking about that and having to like maybe figure it out. 
And I'd rather just open Amazon or like Instagram and watch my favorite influencer show off her new jewelry or whatever. Like that made me feel better. (laughs) And so a lot of people reach for their phones for that reason. People are addicted to their phones. We are addicted to distractions. And a lot of us distraction is shopping. And so being able to identify your triggers, your relationship with stuff, exactly what are you trying to buy yourself into? I always tell people like, we don't buy objects. We don't buy stuff. We don't buy things. We buy feelings. We buy emotions. We buy stories. If I buy this pair of shoes, my friends are going to think I'm cool or I'm going to look beautiful. If I buy this new skincare, I'm going to buy youth. I'm going to buy a happier marriage. If I buy this, whatever (laughs) new thing, I'm going to buy status when I get this new car or when I move into this new neighborhood. This is what every single person buys when they're buying something. And so if you see a pattern in your shopping, whether you think it's intentional or whether you recognize, yeah, it probably is an impulse purchase, start to ask yourself, dig a little deeper. It might not be comfortable, but being able to get to the root and the heart of the matter, which is what we're always talking about when it comes to what I teach is so valuable because then and only then can we start to make the necessary changes to step out of that and actually get closer to a life that's fulfilling, intentional, simple, slow, whatever it is that we want. Mm, There's so much more behind just the receipt or just the checkout counter for every one of us. And Amy and I mentioned this so often, but our values all look different. So our lives are all going to look different. But then you add in stress, you add in boredom, you add in trying to be like somebody else. And all of a sudden these purchases come in that might not be aligning with you, your values and the life that you're trying to live. But Katie, this interview has been absolutely incredible. So for those who want more information, where can they find you? Come hang out with me on my show if you want. (laughs) The Mm -hmm. Maximize Minimalist. And Instagram is kind of my social media platform of choice. Of course, you can find me on Facebook too. And then all my resources are on my website, my online programs. And it's just my name, katiejoywells.com. Awesome, Katie. And for those who are listening, hopefully this inspired you to tackle one room or even one part of a room in your house. So we would love to see some of your Instagram shares. Tag both Katie and herself podcast as you tackle these projects. And let's see the transformations that we can start to make not only in our own homes, but also in our mental space and how that can impact our lives. Thanks again so much, Katie. Thanks, Abby. Thanks, Amy.